Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com, where, among other things, we publish in-depth and totally honest reviews of ski, snowboard, mountain bike, backpack and climbing equipment, and more. In this episode of the podcast, we talk to one of the most prominent big mountain skiers in the world, Cody Townsend. Cody's been starring in ski movies since he was 19 years old, and he's recently been making his own films while simultaneously running a company, Arcade. So we talk to Cody about skiing, filming, entrepreneurship, and more. We get into Cody's background, including a great story about why Cody didn't exactly fit in growing up with the other ski racers. We talk about Blister's product of the year, which is also Cody's go-to ski boot, the Solomon Mountain Lab, skiing very heavy lines on skis that aren't traditional big mountain chargers, and Cody's take on the next revolution in skiing. We then turn to the rise of indie film projects, including Cody's own recent film, Conquering the Useless, and talk about the best ski movie ever, Cody's recent favorites, and the future of ski movies. We then get a little entrepreneurial and talk about Cody's company, Arcade, the grind of running a company, the pros and cons of starting a company, and the reasons why VC investor Chris Saka was so impressed by Arcade's products. And finally, we talk podcasts, why we love them, and which ones are Cody's favorites. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by Alaska Airlines. Alaska Airlines is now offering seasonal flights between Seattle and Steamboat Springs, as well as flights to Sun Valley from Seattle and LAX. Go to alaskaair.com forward slash ski to check out the specific terms and conditions. Now let's get to that conversation with Cody, and you can check out the show notes on the site. Just click on Blister Podcast on the nav bar at the top of the site, for links and movie trailers to most of the stuff that Cody and I discuss. So where are you? Uh, right now, I am in the arcade office, which is at the base of Alpine Meadows. And I uh, just got done with a little bit of skiing at Squaw this morning. Nice. Um, and did you, you've been on the road, is that right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Then uh, the last two weeks, uh, I got kind of selected for this dream trip that uh, Solomon Free Ski TV puts on. It's a contest where a bunch of people enter essentially their dream trip, um, being which athletes they want to go with and where they want to go to. And um, this particular guy of Toronto won out of like 5,000 people and it was myself uh, Mike Douglas and Chris Rubens and we went on an interior BC road trip so I just got wrapped up with that and just got home nice <laughs> uh, well probably you know welcome home I suppose and uh, yeah I'm guessing it probably feels good to be back yeah, well, it feels good to be back this year. Um, the mm. last four years, I would say, wasn't that great <laughs> to be back. But the fact that uh, Tahoe has snow and it's really good and there's mm. more snow in the forecast mm. is definitely making it a lot easier to be home in the own bed and just uh, ski in my own hill. 
Well, that's true. It's been cool to watch. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, California has been due. So it's been fun seeing everybody getting it out there. And, and, uh, yeah, it feels like sort of things are back, uh, at least for the current moment on, um, you know, as they should be. So been fun to see. Totally. No, it's been, it's kind of funny because, uh, we were talking about that up in our last trip and, you know, there's always rivalries and people always used to try and make fun of Squaw because we just have such a history and a history of flamboyance and whatnot. And he says after like two years, it was kind of like you started to feel bad and you just, no one started making fun of Squaw anymore. Cause you're just like, Oop, it's kind of harsh. To, yeah. like, they don't have snow and it hasn't been good for years. So, uh, so yeah, now after four years, I think we're back in the game. Uh, finally a little bit of, uh, getting made fun of, but I think actually even them, they're just, everyone's like fired up. Tahoe snow. Everyone's like, Oh, nice, nice work. You guys yeah. got snow. Good job. <laughs> you're like, you're like the little brother of the ski industry. That's like got just past like first grade or something. Everyone's like, fired up on just the most basic fact that we have snow yeah well um we'll see we'll see if that becomes an emerging pattern um or not right if it if we end up all just celebrating wherever in the world um snow happens to be falling um yeah uh we'll sort of stay tuned on that one um so so there's a, a lot of stuff that i'm interested in talking to you about and um uh, you know, from some of the stuff related to just you as a skier, an athlete. Um, and then there's also, I kind of want to talk about, uh, your, uh, continuing exploration of sort of filming and filmmaking. Um, and then of course, kind of the entrepreneurial stuff that you've been involved with. Um, but to back up just a second, um, cause I, this is some stuff I think I learned about a little more recently, but, uh, just a minute on your background, um, you're one of the folks that got a pretty early start into this ski thing. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, as if you're talking about the career or the, the actual nope. just love yeah. of it. Talking about life. Um, oh yeah. No, I started, um, started skiing when I was two years old. My parents uh, had a cabin, like a real cabin, not like the multi-million dollar homes that the Bay Area <laughs> people call their cabins. Like we had a cabin that you had to hike to and it was like uh, at times we'd have so much snow, it'd take an hour and a half to hike to our cabin. So, um, huh. uh, but I started skiing when I was two because my parents loved it and we were full weekend warriors and I caught the bug early. Like, I don't know how and, but some of my first memories and kind of first like, ideas of, of life were all centered around skiing like I will never forget watching Warren Miller's Ski Country and watching Scott Schmidt just absolutely shred the uh, Squaw Valley and realizing that's my home mountain and that's where I get to ski and that's what I want to do in life I want to be Scott Schmidt I want to do what he does and uh, so pretty much caught the bug early and I've, I wanted to be a skier my whole life but then was there ever did you ever dabble in the um dabble in the mainstream sports stuff yeah okay so, so you uh, you were getting both you you grew up in the I, I kind of started on I was sort of all football basketball growing up and and the skiing part came later you actually got like best of both worlds as I guess I would think of it 
Yeah, no, I definitely had both. Um, my dad was, uh, I guess, the the blueprint for that because he grew up in San Diego as a surfer, but then was um, like an all-American football player and was heavily recruited out of college to be a college or out of high school to be uh, a college running back. And he was offered scholarships by USC, which was yeah. the number one school at the time, um, by Cal, by a bunch of places. He ended up going to San Jose State, um, but he then went to San Jose State so he could kind of surf in Santa Cruz as well. So he was playing football at a nearly all-American level. Um, he even tried out for the Niners, um, but he was also a diehard surfer. So I think I have always had that like bug of both. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that time, like growing up, my dad was always a football coach. He's been a football coach my entire life um, there. And then they love to go skiing. So I was exposed to both from pretty, pretty young age. I remember I grew up on the practice field with my dad coaching and then I grew up going to the mountains on the weekends. Did you, did you yourself ever play? Did you get into it? Um, did you, were you all more drawn to the, the mountain stuff, um, sort of instead from an early age? How'd that go for you? Yeah. I mean, I would say, I don't know if I had a choice if I was going to play or not. <laughs> I was playing. Okay. But at the same time, I grew up with it, so I wanted to play. Like yeah. It was definitely like I was around the football field. I knew it, and I wanted to play football. So, um, But the, the one problem was I was really quite, quite addicted and just completely fascinated with skiing at the same time. So I'd always say my skiing was like the real focus. And as I got to high school and started playing football – you know, I was getting better and better at skiing and ski racing and having success in that and still had this dream of being a, a skier. I didn't know how. I didn't know whether it was a pro free skier or a racer or whatever. All I knew is I just wanted to be a skier. So football took like a little bit of a emotional backseat to me. But at the same time, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. Um, played quarterback throughout high school. Um, yeah. Was uh, I wouldn't say I was that great at it though. <laughs> like I was definitely a better skier than I was a football player. Mm-hmm. You got on skis, you dug it, um, and then racing was the first sort of step into competitive ski stuff. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it was kind of a natural transition. You go from the the kids' programs, the Mighty Might programs, into yep. the racing, and then I kind of was – funneled right into the, the race team and uh i started doing really well at a young age when i was like 12 13 like i think there was a year where i won every single slalom race by more than a second so i was like having early success with it so it seemed like yeah go down this road and at that point like you know there's loose dreams of like yeah i would want to go to the olympics one day that was mainly what you're exposed to so it was definitely like this yeah work at being a ski racer and um you know i was pretty focused on just doing that meanwhile the problem was um i was growing up at squaw during a time (laughs) when there was an absolute revolution happening for our very eyes and that that's these uh huck and cliffs tricks all that stuff was like happening right when i was kind of in a certain way peaking in skiing and ski racing and it was this other little thing just drew so much more interest for me. I was like, that looks cool. Mm-hmm. Training, getting up at six in the morning and racing gates and a speed suit and doing the same thing every day. It was starting to lose its love for me. But, um, you know, it took me all the way until I was about 20 years old to, to finally kind of quit ski racing. Okay. Yeah. 
and man, by 20 then, and so you were, you probably had, I'm, I'm guessing just a pretty seamless transition where it was kind of racing one day, gave that up and you were already, um, uh, free skiing, big mountain skiing. I mean, is that kind of how that went? Yeah, definitely. Like I, I was, I would say my coaches, the Western region team coaches and the U S ski team coaches that I was starting to work with really didn't quite like me for the reason that I would show up to ski races on 1080s or fat skis and have baggy, <laughs> baggiest clothes of anyone. You know, everyone had to have those like zip on pants, zip on, zip off pants to get into their speed suit. Well, mm-hmm. my pants were big enough where I could just pull them over my boots. Um, so they, that transition was happening early for me. Like I remember specifically going to us nationals once and, um, instead of bringing training skis, I'd always bring fat skis. I had a pair of atomic powder pluses and one morning, um, the, it just dumps a ton, dumps like two feet at where a whitefish Montana. Mm-hmm. And so we go out to go as the entire racers go out to go slip the course and try and get it prepared for the race day. Uh, um, well, so we got up at like six thirty. we're on the list by seven and there's a hundred plus racers slipping out the course. Well, I had my fat skis on and there was no freaking way I was going to go ski slip that course. And I proceeded to lap the chair. I got like six laps in before the chair opened <laughs> of just by myself, pow skiing before the lifts opened. And, uh, the story goes, which was really funny. was, I was just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Your own private ski area. All these racers are freaking, you know, slipping out the course and I'm just skiing pow by myself. Well, the locals in the lineup started to notice this. They started to see <laughs> that this kid kept coming through with pow all over his face and a giant smile and just like loving it. So by run like four, there's kind of a lineup of like 20 people and they're like, start yelling like, Hey, Hey, like what's that kid doing? And I'm just like trying to sneak through. And by, by run five, they start to realize that there's like 80 people and they're like, hey, that guy's just skiing. Like, da, 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 da. And I just like, <laughs> kind of like, Oh, what? Okay. One more. And I get one more lap in. And by the time I got back, there was probably a hundred plus people armed to the gills with snowballs. As I pull back into chair, into the line and they just start th- throwing a massive amounts of snowballs at me. And I just give them the finger as I'm going back up to chair for <laughs> one more lap. And it was just like, oh, that was one of the greatest days ever. But it was also a realization that my heart was definitely not in ski racing and far more in powder skiing. <laughs> That's great. That's a great story. I want to kind of fast forward a bit and um, talk a little bit about uh, some gear stuff, um, uh-huh. in part because, um, as everybody's kind of heard from me by now, um, I'm a big fan of this Solomon Mountain Lab boot, right? And uh-huh. um, I know you've been skiing that and 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 had some involvement um, with the production of that. But so, I mean, mostly, as I've kind of said on the site... Um, I'm psyched that there's finally been an AT boot that I don't hate. Um, yeah. And, uh, but anyway, I, I, I think it would be, and it was, I mean, it, it, that was kind of our product of the year of, of, of all categories of anything that we saw that came out, um, on the ski side of things, it really, that was a pretty, um, it's been a pretty revolutionary product, um, for me and, um, was interested in hearing a bit more about 
if that's still kind of been the boot you've been putting the most time in, um, that kind of a thing. Yeah. So the mountain lab boot, I will say I actually almost had zero involvement with the pro- the production mm-hmm. of that, but the people that were a part of it were people I really, really trusted. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it was Chris Rubens, Greg Hill, and, um, I believe one other guy, but mainly like Chris Rubens, he's kind of our, I would say our hoji of a say, like, uh, the Solomon's guy that's always tweaking with stuff and really fascinated with, uh, with his products and whatnot. So having him leading that, I knew that it was going to come out well. Um, and he definitely led the charge on making this, that boot, something that was what it is today. And, um, you know, it's kind of, it's funny to like, I remember thinking about this being like, Oh God, I really want to work on this boot, but, uh, room is working out. It'll mm-hmm. be fine. So <laughs> they took like two, I would say a solid two years of testing and development. And we're bringing Rubens over there to, you know, like design and work on it and whatnot. So there was a lot of thought and process and testing that went into that boot. And I, yeah, I was, I was blown away the first day I skied it. And, you know, I knew what Rubens was telling me about it, but I was still kind of of the idea that like, yeah, I'm like, I was like, you know, I hate touring boots. They just Mm -hmm. don't work for me. And I got it, uh, got it. And I was just blown away. And I've actually this year, um, I haven't skied in any other boot. I've done a hundred percent of my days in that boot. Um, I do a little bit of mods for mine, but that's because I like like something that's really, really high performance that's mm-hmm. even less touring capable. So just like an intuition liner um, yeah. is something that I realize it makes touring a little bit more of a hassle, but it stiffens up the boot for me, uh, makes it something that just like that skis downhill better and do some like put some spoilers on it for me because I yeah. like it a little bit more forward lean. But for the most part, uh, yeah, I can't believe that I'm, I still like, yep. was going up on this last trip going like, really, you're just bringing touring boots. And it's yep. like, yep, I am. And it, it was awesome. Yeah. By the way, how, what's your height and weight? I am six to one ninety, So I'm one of the bigger guys, yep. one of the bigger <laughs> skiers out there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was funny by the way. And, and <laughs> when I was started, uh, putting time in that mountain lab last spring. And I was almost getting mad because I was like, I, I'm not hating this boot. And, yeah. and, uh, and I went and so I was like, well, I'm going to go bang, uh, went up to Colorado and was banging out chair laps in this thing. Right. Cause I'm like, surely it's one thing to tour in a boot where you're going to drop a line or two in a day. But like, if I'm just doing repeat laps and, you know, variable snow, clearly this is where, this boot is going to pale compared to, uh, you know, a dedicated Alpine boot. And, and I remember just lapping, doing laps at a basin. And I was still kind of like, man, I still don't hate this boot. And I mean, yeah, like if you, if you are going to go a B like a great dedicated Alpine boot, there is a difference, but it was really pretty eye opening to me that it's like, if I wasn't literally switching boots between runs, um, it really is a capable boot. And I mean, I think if, you know, at 62190, it doesn't surprise me to hear you saying that you're, you know, looking to do some mods to it. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, it's still, I think a pretty remarkable product. So kudos to, well, I guess kudos to, to Rubens and the rest of the crew on that one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really impressed with it. And what's really, um, 
what amazes me about that boot is actually how simple it is. Like exactly. I've seen a exactly. lot of boots and a lot of touring boots. It kind of feels like add-on Frankenstein, mm-hmm. put new things on it, like just do all this stuff so that it kind of does both. And that boot is just, it's simple. There's very few moving parts to it. Yep. And I just think they nailed the fit of it. They nailed the, the materials of it, those the, the specific materials. And I forget the name of the actual, the like industrial name of the material but that material and the way they blended it makes it so that flex pattern is so great and it's just like the it's the simple things that make that boot so good and you're not you have less moving parts and less things to break which is yep. one of my biggest theories in in any product is don't add stuff on just make the design better and make it as simple as possible because the more stuff you have it's like putting you know like fancy radios in your car it's gonna break you know yep. like it's just just make it simple and so that's what's pretty impressive about that boot is just how simple it is yep totally agree i wanted to talk about the fact that obviously um as conquering the useless opens um with this uh you know rather famous line of yours um yep. in ak right where a guy that six two one ninety straight lining on the rocker two one twenty two. Um, that's not a ski that I would have looked at and think like I want to go straight line, very consequential terrain on. Um, and so that is one a question I guess about how comfortable you felt sort of on that ski. What is a softer ski, right? I mean, this yeah. isn't this isn't a burly charger, and then. Secondly, in conquering the useless, um, you know, there's kind of a um, high, a high point in the film where um, you're doing some fairly serious work on the Solomon, um, uh, sorry, the Solomon uh, Mountain Lab. Yeah. Um, and so there, it's actually, I'm not sure, actually, perhaps stiffer than a 122, but so lightweight, right? And and I. You've got to be a guy, I'm thinking, one, given your size, and two, given your race background. It seems like most former racers have sort of a love for a heavier, damp ski. And I don't know what, what you think of that. Um, how much of a, how compromised you felt on either of those things? If it's something where it's like, well, dude, obviously you were climbing up a pretty gnarly mountain in Conquering the Useless. Um, so going lighter makes some good sense, but just as a skier, as you're out skiing, do you feel like, I don't know, is a damp, heavy ski feel like training wheels to you? Have you been doing this long enough where you just feel pretty comfortable? You can go make, make stuff work as you need to. Um, does that make sense? Um, yeah, yeah, no, totally. No, it's a, it's a really interesting question. And it's, uh, there's a lot of things that from beginning to end, um, that are in that question and like, First off, like the the rocker two question, it is something that was actually playing in my head while on that line because I had time to think about it. Yep. Um, it wasn't just that day finding it, and um, you know we found it a little bit earlier, and then went out specifically to go ski it that day. And that in particular, that line warranted not a straight ski. And my other option was the the um, Solomon lab ski at that point um it's it was only like a one or two year ski but very stiff lots of camber 
little bit of tip yeah, rock. The Q lab. Yeah, Q lab. Yep. So it seems like they kind of ski for that. But the factor was I had to at points dump speed and yep. I knew at points I had to scrub. And if my if my only safety line was scrubbing speed, that ski the rocker two was that the ski for that. Yep. And then I even a couple years ago, it was the actually the year before, kind of made the conscious switch to switch entirely to the Rocker Two, but it took a change of the way I looked at the mountains and the way I kind of decided to ski them. Um, for me, like I think one of the biggest revolutions in skiing is that for a long time we were producing skis that made the mountains smaller. They were stiff. They were yep. go super fast. They held, hold well at speed. But in order to like make them work, you kind of have to get up to a fast speed. And then they work really well at that fast speed. So it essentially makes the length of the mountain shorter. You get mm-hmm. seven turns as opposed to you know 20. Um, and then I started finding that the, it's like the, the rocker technology with the... Uh, um, kind of the wide points closer to your tip, uh, closer to your toes and your heels. Like that to me was like all of a sudden the mountain got big again. So you could take this mountain that you have and do every little side hit, carry your speed through turns. And all of a sudden you're just like, you hold that speed, but you're holding it through every turn and you're holding it through every jump, bump and hit and getting pop off everything. And all of a sudden it was like this, like, wait, skiing is fun again. Not about like charging as fast as you can to the biggest cliff and Mm -hmm. landing that it was more about like the side hit before that and then jumping the biggest cliff after that. So it took a little bit of like work to kind of I changed my skiing style to it. And then all of a sudden I found I was having way more fun hmm. than just making four turns and hitting an air going straight and landing on my feet again. Um, so I got really like familiar with that kind of, uh, the rocker too, and hmm. got really confident on it. I was also skiing a dead center mountain, wow. um, which is kind of a risky place because in order to land an air, I'd have to be really far forward. So hoping that the, the tips don't dive to get the, the work out of the tail. Um, so it took some time to transition, but now I'm like, that's, that's the ski, man. You can go ski any mountain and ski anywhere and, uh, be, have so much fun on that style of ski. Um, moving on to the lightweight, um, hang on, wait a second. I got to interrupt you. You're yeah, skiing yeah. that thing dead center, dead center, just to get more tail to get more tail exactly for for me it was like a a balance point of when i'm in the air and when i'm landing that i get a little bit more tail out of it and it took like i would say a solid month to get the confidence to be super forward over my skis to stomp in air um and just trust that the tip would flex upward and that you're not going to just punch front the moment you land wow yeah i'm kind of stunned um yeah and I liked the way it skied. I liked the way how maneuverable it was at that point. Um, it was just, uh, yeah, it skied really well because of it. Hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and I'm sorry I interrupted you. You were going yeah. to the, uh, so then talking about the, the mountain lab. Yeah. So this mountain lab, the, the, I will say it started about two years ago within Solomon. It was, we were having a lot of discussions with the team of what's the next thing? Like, what's the, the thing that is going to change skiing again. And I'm kind of of the, the, the theory that shape and rocker, those are pretty dialed. Mm-hmm. Like most companies have a pretty similar ski. 
And there's small things that really change it, but for the most part, they're all pretty similar. Like the Rocker 2 and the JJ and the Ben Chatler and a few other skis all have very similar profiles. Mm-hmm. But what's really going to revolutionize things is the materials that are in the skis. Mm-hmm. So, and specifically going, can we find a ski that is lightweight and lighter than anything out there, yet skis better than what we currently have? So that was kind of the first instance of the, the, the mountain lab ski was the first kind of like, Hey, let's make a lightweight ski, but create things within it that make it damp, that make it uh, stiff, that make it be able to hold an edge to just make it a normal ski. Um, that ski was heavily influenced by Andreas Fransen, so it kind of has the profile that it certain that it has, mainly for steep skiing and uh, steep skiing powder. So the so that ski to me, it was confident to ski on a very steep line. Um, in that regard, it's kind of made that way. What I will say is these conversations of can we make something that's lighter? than anything else out there get skis better than what we've had before is those heavy damp skis we we we've nailed um you'll see it at SIA in the next uh, week and uh you know probably not entirely supposed to say but it'll be out there soon but the new skis i'm skiing on by solomon are the best skis i've ever skied on by far mm-hmm. it's unbelievable how powerful strong yet lightweight and like easy to ski they are it's ridiculous like they're practically my big fat chargy skis are practically a lightweight touring ski when it comes to the weight of them yet i would ski anything in alaska on them they're it's it's crazy i think that's where the truly the next revolution is because i you know as you were saying like a lightweight kind of like a carbon ski it's tinny it's like doesn't it's doesn't have a good feel to it so you know, the Solomon guys are working with carbon, but working with other materials to make the ski actually damp yet lightweight and stiff yet lightweight. So it's been it's been cool to play with that over the last two years. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I think we're I mean, obviously, with some of the stuff that is about, you know, um, is about to kind of, I guess, come more to the light um, from a number of manufacturers, right? Like, it's just been crazy. Just again, as somebody where I've, I've just kind of hated AT stuff. I've yeah. hated AT boots. I've hated AT skis. I've hated AT bindings. And I, I, it really kind of feels like, wait a second, this stuff is suddenly getting it. I don't know if suddenly is the right word, but it kind of feels like suddenly this stuff is really coming to the forefront in a, in a really significant way that, um, it, things feel a lot less compromised when you're giving up your dedicated Alpine stuff. Um, I mean, that whole thing now though, about, (laughs) I think that it's funny, right? Like on the site, we review a new AT binding or a new AT boot and suddenly it kind of feels like everybody's like sweet. So it's totally great in bounds, no compromise. And I'm kind of like, well, wait a second. Can't we just celebrate for a minute the fact that AT stuff just got real good? Like when yeah. you're going to tour, and it and it is pretty interesting. I mean, clearly there is this appetite. Like, well, we want it to be phenomenal, both when we're skinning and when we're just riding chairs. And so, uh, yeah, I've been I've been kind of um, I've wondered about that, maybe worried about that a bit, but. I don't know. I mean, right now, maybe we ought to just have enough confidence that in the engineers and in the materials that, 
this stuff will continue to blend and bleed and get more capable and get lighter. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I will say from the Solomon standpoint, like we came into this with the fact that we were not willing to compromise. We were not willing to compromise lightweight for skiability. It had to be skiable and had to ski better than what we had before in order to make it lightweight. That was like a big concern of ours because we were like, yeah, make it lightweight, but what if it sucks? None mm-hmm. of us, we're all like, I would say 90% of the, the Solomon team is downhill first. And mm-hmm. we saw the same thing. We feel the same sentiment that AT stuff kind of sucks. Like they compromise a lot to mm-hmm. make it good for the up, mm-hmm. make it less, you know, make it less heavy, least dear to everything to make it up much more pleasurable we're like yeah well, we're all downhill skiers first we use the up to get to the downhill we're not like trying to enjoy the uphill we're just trying to get there so that we can ski our line and then have fun on the way down so that was kind of the mindset that went into the a lot of the process of the, the new skis is that like we can't we're not compromising if you guys make a lightweight ski and it skis like crap we're not signing off on it we're not going to be like skiing on that ski we'll go straight back to the rocker too so yeah. it was a, a big focus of ours was yeah this it's, it's got to ski well first yeah. and then if it happens to be lightweight then it's going to make the uphill that much better and i've been finding like just skiing around the hill with a pair of lightweight skis so you're like this is super fun <laughs> like it's just so easy to maneuver and you pop off a little air and you can just like spin super easy and just like all of a sudden you're way more maneuverable than you once were mm-hmm. man you've like you've become the little jibber yes. you're, you're like cody on his lightweight dead center mounted skis just noodling around oh, <laughs> it was, i would know i've got a huge transition i went from <laughs> ski racer to like pure like big mountain skier trying to be like hugo harrison looking yeah. for like you know, I ski, used to ski on the 202 XW Labs, and then I skied on the the L Dictators, yeah. which we helped design. And then it's been like slowly, like moving more and more to these playful fun skis. And uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I, I think that's what makes skiing fun. It's like you're not just doing the same thing the same way, but I'm definitely I'm much more intrigued by fun, easy, lightweight skis that you know, you know, obviously it's so want to charge and i'll be trying to hit big cliffs and get that motivation so i need to have a ski that's able to do that but if i can just ski your average day and like be popping off stuff and spinning off stuff it's it's makes your average day that much more fun Hmm. um let's talk a bit about films and filmmaking um that sort of thing um you've been making you've been in movies for precisely ever now because yeah um, long time, right? Uh, it's been, I was, did my first ski movie when I, I was 19. So okay. yeah, it's been now 13 and 32 now. So yeah. going into my 13th year of being in ski movies mm-hmm. and a pretty significant, uh, thing. I mean, I think some of us were very surprised to see, um, um, to see you kind of part ways with, with MSP. Um, uh, and it, it it's been kind of interesting. Uh, again, not that smaller films or indie films are anything brand new, but it sure as hell seems like we're seeing this proliferation of kind of indie projects or, or smaller um, production companies coming around. Um, I don't know. Do you have what do you make of that trend? Um, I'd be curious. I I am a bit curious about <laughs> MSP and what's sort of going on there. 
Um, I, I don't know how, uh, how much you care to say about that, but um, it's been certainly another interesting um, phenomenon, I guess, in the ski world. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the indie project is becoming a thing because it's just easier to do now. Mm-hmm. The technology makes it so anyone can get a camera and editing software and make a movie. It's like, it's just like, it used to be you had to have a $50,000 film camera and buy a film that's $330 a foot. And you had to be, you had to have a lot of capital to make that happen. Now it's like, you can go out there with a $300 GoPro and your iMovie software and put a little edit out and mm-hmm. put it out to YouTube and you can get more views than most of the ski movies, you know, have done correctly. So it's just easier now, um, which is awesome. Cause I just think there's more ideas and more creativity getting out there mm-hmm. for me, like personally, like leaving MSP last year and I don't take it as like almost like leaving MSP. It was more that MSP has their business. They, mm-hmm. they're in the business of making action ski movies. Um, that's what has got them to where they are. I mean, making movies for more than 20 years. Mm-hmm. I lost the desire last year to do that. Like I lost that feeling, that drive to just go continually one up myself every year. Like, mm-hmm. which is mainly the basis of those if that's the formula of those yep. kind of ski movies, you got to ski better than you did last year to go bigger, spin more, ski steeper, do mm-hmm. something gnarlier. It's kind of like the only way that the audience gets jazzed and it's how your value in the movie is determined. And I just had no, no interest in doing that. Um, and it was like a deep down, no interest. And I like fought with that for months in my head. And finally I was just like, well, I, I can't do it. I got to do something different. I got to figure out something else to inspire me. And that's where really conquering the useless came from. It was uh, going, I was like, this is the thing that interests me right now is going on an adventure with my friends, without guides, camping and climbing and learning an entirely new way to approach the mountains. I mean, I've been able to ski gnarly lines around the world with the aids of helicopters and guides all around us. And you're like, well, I want to do this on my own. Like I want to, I want to go instead of get dropped off in a heli and two minutes later drop in. And then you're like, cool, where's the next line? I want to like feel the mountains, live in the mountains and climb that mountain yourself. Like, you know, I, I can't say which one's better than the other because heli skiing and skiing big lines is amazing. But the the feeling of like climbing a line for two hours that happens to be one of the steepest lines of your life and yeah. then skiing in on it like wow there is like uh i i haven't got that feeling from anything else of just that that i don't know the the feeling of being gripped for two hours and going up on your own two feet and having to rely on your own instincts and your own judgments and your, your the people around you to get up a mountain and then getting up top and going, I have to get down this too now. Like I can't, yeah. I can't get picked up by the heli. Like <laughs> if there's no heli, like the, it's getting dark. Like yeah. if I want to sleep in my bed tonight, I got to ski down this now too. And, uh, it's, it's a crazy cool feeling. And I definitely walked away from last year far more inspired than I have been in years. Like it's, uh, it's just like kind of a new evolution of the mountains for myself. And I hope that we kind of told that story in a way that it's kind of like, yeah, it's not that skiing's not just about skiing big lines. It's skiing. It's everything that goes into it is what makes it interesting. Yeah. And, um, 
we we wrote a little bit about the movie um, on Blister, and, and we'll we'll put a link to that in the in the show notes to this. Um, we'll also put a link to where are you? Um, where's your preferred way f- uh, for people uh, to find the movie or or to to uh, you know to go download the movie or order the movie? Um, um, our website has links to every form. So yep. if you go to conqueringtheuseless.com, dot com. There's uh, iTunes, uh, you can rent it on iTunes, buy it on iTunes. You can go to uh, uh, Vimeo and rent it or buy it. There's so many different ways that we just tried to make it easy. So yep. that's uh, <laughs> that's probably the best way. Okay. Um, it really is. Uh, I I really did. I mean, our our associate editor Cy wrote about this, and then I I got to see the movie and and kind of had the same of sentiments, but it's really one, I think a very different film. Um, and, and two, I think, first of all, like, you know, Dave Treadway is just great. I think you, you come away like, you know, like you're great in the thing and, and Elise is great in the thing. And, but I think Dave, Dave and Chris both were such interesting kind of presences in the movie for different reasons. Um, but the whole discussion, you've just said, well, you're talking about why you um, opted to do something different, right? This rather than going for like, I've got to one up myself every single year or in that same way, whatever. But, but Treadway's stuff, I think, was really powerful. And there's a pretty powerful monologue in the film that we don't, we don't have to go too much into that. People should watch the movie and kind of see what we're talking about. But I think it was really cool for me to see a movie willing to just throw in, um, I don't know, a bit of like real talk about what the hell it is that we're doing and what the expectations are when you're out filming. Um, and sure, why don't we all just go get on top of bigger and bigger stuff till we die? Right. Um, I, I thought that that, I don't know. I, I think what we wrote was like anybody spending any time in the mountains. Like if you don't come away, sort of looking at the stuff that we do, um, in a different light, then it's kind of your fault, not the film's fault. Um, and, um, so I, I mean, in a way, I, I mean, I, am sure in the making of this, I doubt you set out like, yo, Dave, here's the script. You're going to talk about this. Um, it, it certainly felt pretty organic in the film, how, how that all kind of came to be. Um, but was a nice moment. Um, certainly. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that moment and that thing, I, I didn't even know that happened until mm-hmm. that night because Chris and I were already taken off on the sled, getting ready to prep for the climb. And, um, yeah, like that, that, that moment was what we set out to capture, but that it, what he said was not what we set out to capture. What mm-hmm. we set out to capture was like, Hey, we're real people. Yep. These decisions of, backing down from lines uh all the stuff that goes into it what truly goes in your on in your mind during these kind of uh instances was what we wanted to show because it's you know like you see in a in a typical ski porn we're essentially just superheroes as professional athletes you don't see the emotional side you'll see occasionally someone like "Ooh, i'm scared but you don't really see like the thought process that go into it of like Hey, do I do this? I might die. Right. And I have a wife at home. I have like all these, these factors that truly get discussed and are out there and talk about 
within the inside and, and our career directions. And when we watch our friends die around us, this stuff happens and these conversations happen and these, the way we make decisions in the mountains are very, very, very calculated. So that was all we set out to do. It was like, Hey, let's do one trip. That's going to be a majority of the movie, but we're going to show the process. We're going to show what's going on. We're going to try and show what's happening in real time. Um, happen you know of climbing like when chris is on that last climb and he's just saying with the gopro on like oh the climb just went from burl factor 8 to burl factor 10.0 those are the moments he like wanted to capture so yeah. you know what what came across was just i think more it was in the film the the four people are real people mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's what wanted we wanted to get across and i think like for me like rubens is one of my favorite people to be in the mountains with um he is beyond just being a good guy and a great skier like one of the most has one of the best backcountry senses i've seen of any single skier out there he's just he just carries himself in the mountains very well and then with with dave like i'd seen a lot of his stuff but truly didn't know him and we kind of were i felt like in a certain way taking a risk on dave and but dave like was just absolutely amazing and absolutely yeah. added so much to our trip and was some guy I would go in the mountains with any day of the week because he is, yeah, he's an incredible human being. And it's kind of funny, like in the inside industry, people like talk like Dave, he's got a giant, Christ, uh, you know, cross on his, his sticker. He's very associated with Christianity. And that's something that the industry definitely doesn't talk about, doesn't care about, almost like laughs about. And uh, like, you, it couldn't be further from like Dave is like such a good human being and I see his Christianity tied to him of being such a good person that it's like how could you ever hate on that like he you know he he's not like the most into the industry inside industry yeah. kind of guy there is he's just going out and doing his thing and man I respect that and like you know the, the guys out there like he works with kids all summer. He goes to his church and works in the community. He's doing more than for the people around him than any pro skier I've ever met. Like I aspire to give back the way that Dave has given back. Hmm. No, that's great. Um, <clears throat> I have to say just me personally, but in this movie, you know, with, uh, you know, you've got Elise and yourself and Chris and Dave, Ruben's one for me. Like yeah. I, I don't. I, I, I somehow. Um, I, I feel like an idiot admitting this, but like, I didn't know uh, nearly probably as much about Chris going into this as about the, the you other guys. And I just like Chris. You're just like I want to ski with that guy. I want to hang out with that guy. I mean, he, it really was. Um, he he was so great in this thing. And, um, and so it's, it's interesting here, uh, interesting too, to hear you talking about that, um, just on the, on the product development side that he's got, you know, great, great thoughts and insights on that front too. So anyway, Chris, um, I, you get my, I don't know, blue ribbon or something in a, in a, in a great movie with great people. Like Chris was, um, Chris was a really fun and, and great, great, uh, contribution to that thing. Uh, just as if somebody watching the, watching the flick. So, Totally. No, yeah. Chris is Chris is an amazing guy. I love I love skiing with him, and I haven't spent a lot of time with him for the last few years. And it's, it's like I've learned so much from him. Actually, I spent so much time. I spent twenty four days in a tent last winter with Chris. 
<laughs> like I honestly think I slept in a in like what you'd call almost the same room or bed or yep. whatever with Chris than my wife and you know it, it, it was very joked upon this last year that <laughs> him and I have a relationship <laughs> of some sort well hey I mean, um, my, my takeaway, one of my takeaways from conquering the useless, I mean, if you've got to be stuck in a room with a dude, you know, for a bunch of days on end, seems like, you know, Rubens might not be, Rubens might be high on that list, right? Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a good guy to get stuck in a tent with. So. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was awesome. And I, yeah, really enjoy skiing with him. Just got done skiing with him this last week. We had a blast. Hmm. So did you, I mean, you've been making movies for a long time um, or involved with the making of movies for a long time. Now that you are, this is kind of your show, um, did you suddenly start looking at movies and the production element differently, or had that always kind of been gone hand in hand, you know, over your last 13 years of doing this? Um, Um, I've always looked at a little hand in hand, but I will say, like, you know, for a long time, my goal was to be... It's like a big mountain ski porn style of skier. I wanted to mm-hmm. ski, try and ski the best lines in the world. And that was what it was. And now that I've stepped outside of that a little bit, um, you know, now I'm seeing a lot of the production and the the storylines and all the stuff that goes into pro- making a movie is, is an entirely different thing. And it's, uh, it's another new challenge for myself. And it's like, actually the funny thing about it is like, I actually don't really give a, crap about being a movie maker or trying to make movies or being involved on the production side. I just have stories that are out there that I want to tell. And the only way to get it out there is through a movie. So you're kind of like, all right, well, I guess I got to do this myself. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more of a byproduct of, of stuff that I find interesting. And I think the audience would find interesting and um, movie companies out there that aren't really, able or willing or wanting to do that. So you're kind of like, well, I guess I got to do it myself. Hmm. So did you, I mean, you know, and so fine, you know, you're like, Hey, I'm, um, I've told some people we're going to make this movie. I'm on the hook to produce this thing where you suddenly like, crap, I wish I'd been paying more attention, uh, all these past years or, you know, now suddenly you're not, um, you're not being told go jump off of that. You know, yeah. you're, you're involved in all of these elements. I mean, did you find yourself, going back and looking at, at, at films again or, or looking at, you know, recent um, efforts and what people are up to? Um, or did you just kind of be like, you know, we kind of got this story and, and uh, we've done this enough that um, it didn't feel like you were suddenly scrambling to do a bunch of um, research? I would say that I've always been involved with kind of the the process of making a shot, the process of producing a, a trip and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of knew that. For me, it was more the 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 latter. It was, it was like I knew the story was there, and I knew that we needed to go get it. And for the most part, I knew how to do it. But what I will say, I didn't know how to do, and what I learned a lot is the actual like execution and the little things and the managing of it of the the details. I definitely got like essentially almost overconfident in that what we could accomplish, and then was having to like patch things together and piece it together. So. It's kind of like learning from how to get your idea, your movie line, translating it to people to execute it so that you have the the thing that you envision coming out. Because I'm not an editor. I'm not the, the guy behind the lens. Like you have to, one, have them there and to let them have their creative vision, but 
so you're like, well, this is the project that I got funded for. We got to finish this story. So um, they, I definitely learned a lot in it, and I learned uh, essentially like what it takes on the in the field moments, um, the the and the work that goes in beforehand to make sure those in the field moments happen correctly. Two related questions: best ski movie ever. And your separate question, your favorite ski movie ever, if those are two different things. Ooh, yeah. I mean, those are, I guess ski movies are a very personal thing. And mine, I always kind of find that people find that the movie that one of them watched kind of first, earliest yeah. on, tends to be their first and their yeah. favorite movie. So for me, it was like Warren Miller's Ski Country with Scott Schmidt is like yeah. my favorite most influential just because of scott schmidt segment but i will say msp six Sense was like the first real ski movie i watched when it came out and i was like 14 15 years old and i was just my mind was blown and that became my like my movie i watched that twice a day every day for one summer and i the vhs tape doesn't even work anymore i wore it pretty much wore it out uh, <laughs> But is you know, his best movies. There, there is a little bit of a difference. I think, you know, some of the movies that have really like kind of changed things and changed paths. You know, like some of the you look at the movies like Sweetgrass is Valhalla. Like mm-hmm. I love that movie, and it really like it was a big change in yep. ski movies. And oh, like the fact that there's a script and it was acted. Like whoever would have thought that happened in the ski industry? Yep. Um, to I really think like Tanner Hall's Believe is yeah. one of the best ski movies ever. That movie is amazing and it's so different. And then to um, the um, blanking on it, the Teddy Bear Crisis. That's such an amazing movie, you know. But like those don't personally resonate with me as like much as Sixth Sense did. But yeah. those are one of the, some of the best movies of all time because they've they've changed the way that that ski movie and ski productions happen yep yeah um anything this season um at the, say of the last year or two that particularly impressed you or caught your eye um i would say most of it has is happening on the internet these days um i think can candide is yep just an, a mad Absurd. scientist genius yeah. just absolute i i just i like picture him sitting in his room in uh france like smoking weed in a dark room and <laughs> thinking about the craziest things in the world and then he's just like okay i go do him and just makes it happen somehow like hearing the stories of like how that audi commercial happened yeah. it's it's amazing and uh i mean i i think yeah he's on a next level as far as you know, and there's a few other things that have really impressed me, but I think the, the crazy part is most of it's happening on the internet these days. Yeah, that crazy internet. Yeah, it's it's a wild, wild place, and yeah. I still think ski movies—they're figuring it out. Like they, it's the models changing before our very eyes, and yeah. companies are changing, and everything's changing, and so it's going to be an interesting, I'd say, five to ten years to see what shakes out if ski movies. even exist anymore or is this just online edits or instagrams or whatever it is like or if they come back in force i don't know Hmm. yeah that's a great question um 
Well, in the immediate, well, in the present, I mean, are you already gearing up for another effort? I am. I definitely am. And I'm, uh, it's a much bigger project and a much grander scale, um, with a lot larger of a goal. Hmm. Um, and I'm working on it now as something that like, it took me, I had like writer's block essentially for Hmm. a few months and, probably because I work too much and it took me <laughs> driving across the desert in the middle of the night to all of a sudden this idea sparked in my head and it's just been like putting my life and effort into it and uh, everyone I've kind of told it to mentioned it to is just like that's awesome that's amazing but if you can execute that it's going to be really really cool so I'm trying to make that happen and by making that happen is mainly getting funding for it which is probably the hardest part of it so um, I will be potentially actually starting to shoot it this summer and it's, it's a multi-year project. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, storyline based again, not, not making movies to get more people out of the movie and show more of me and making, I want to make movies that shall share a story that I think is valuable to the audience that test, test, like stands a test of time. Cause as it stands, I think ski, ski, porn is a yearly cycle and that doesn't they don't really test the stand the test of time unless it personally resonates with you but i kind of want to tell stories that can stand the test of time Hmm. i like it that sounds good yeah and i I won't say it right now because yeah it's a little too a little too personal right now once Mm -hmm. once it's all locked in and then i'll probably start to announce it but uh yeah it's challenging i don't know i'm trying to make it happen who knows if it does but it's the wheels are in motion. I just got to get the the car out of the garage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's an interesting metaphor. (laughs) The wheels are already in motion. Sounds like you're about to bust through the garage door or, or into the kitchen. One of the, depending on the direction the wheels are spinning. So it feels like that. It feels like they're, the wheels are burning out in inside your garage and you're either going to smoke yourself out and <laughs> die or you're going to actually bust for straight out of the garage. And wow. Wow. We've got to hurt. We've got to get you funding before yeah. you. Yeah. This is getting yeah critical. It's getting very critical. For <laughs> sure. Oh man. Kind of on the entrepreneurial side, um, you've been running a, a company called Arcade. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> when did um, when did Arcade start? Uh, it started in 2010. Um, it started, I mean, a little bit before that, but officially, like the first belt we sold was yeah. in the fall of 2010. Okay. Okay. So you've um, fall of 2010. Okay, J- just before actually we started Blister. I, I couldn't remember if blister sort of came first and then arcade or vice versa but but we're we're both sort of you've just had your five-year anniversary yep. um which is nice right because like it's an important thing it turns out when you start a company not being dead by the time you should be five years old is yeah. a pretty good thing right yeah no it actually is and sometimes i i tend to not reflect on things like that you're because you're so caught in the moment of making stuff happen right now but no it's pretty impressive and the fact that we got where we got and in five years we have now eight full-time employees is incredible and not to mention the 27 reps out there and all the other people in our network but we have five eight people in our office at all times it's amazing yeah 
And had you, I mean, it's, it's kind of always funny to me because it seems like we're in such a like entrepreneurial moment in time, right? Like where, you know, <clears throat> we've got popular TV shows like Shark Tank that are kind of glorifying uh, the, the sort of entrepreneurial spirit and endeavor. And um, I mean, is this something that you always kind of thought might happen someday or, or was this something that just more organically uh, kind of came up because you saw an opportunity and, and a, an opportunity to do something a bit better? Um, or have you kind of always figured you might do something entrepreneurial? You know, I think it's, I always dreamed of it, but kind of in that same way that most people dream of it, you're like, oh, it'd be cool to run my own company one day. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you're like, oh, I could start a clothing company. I've got an idea for a brand or whatever, like that, that kind of way. But it definitely was something that's kind of in my mind always is like, yeah, I'd run a company one day. Um, and then, but Arcade really started very much of just like, here's a product. Mm-hmm. Let's make this product. And then the company was all of a sudden, oh, God, we got to build a company now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the development of like, oh, this could be a successful company you know, took on like year two. Um, yep. so it was a very, like, it was always about the, the product and the belt first and then kind of went from, from there. Hmm. Um, so five years, um, hardest part in all of this. Uh, wow. Uh, how much other stuff in life I've had to sacrifice to make this company go so i find myself at a desk now nine to ten hours a day instead of you know living the skier pro skier lifestyle which is you're like cool i got the summer off well maybe i'll write some emails about sponsors but otherwise i'm gonna go climbing or fly fishing or biking or something like that so it's like pretty much took all my free time I had and now I've devoted that to this company and then from there it's just the fact that like it's really hard to run a company (laughs) there's a lot of things that need to go right and a lot of smart decisions you need to make and you generally you have to grind and for a small company at that you're not doing it with money you're doing it with effort yep yeah have you guys um I think I mean I'm gonna assume we've had a you know, a a fairly similar experience on this. I mean, you know, you start the company and year one, year two, you're kind of, I imagine, constantly spitballing about where do we want this thing to go? And, and in your case, maybe it, maybe it's a little more restricted. Well, no, there's always going to be a zillion hypotheticals, right? Um, Do we come out with this other product? Where do we want to be selling all of this stuff? And, does it does it feel like with the development of arcade that this stuff has always felt like a fairly natural progression or do you guys feel like you've actually had to make some pretty significant you know forks in the road we're going you know a or b and this is going to have a serious effect on the direction of the company i mean has this felt like a fairly organic development or does it feel like there's been kind of wrenching um and like forceful uh a forceful wrenching of the direction of this thing. Um, I would say the the growth of the company has been very organic. Um, but I would also say we've had to force it. Um, uh, the fact that we run into is belts are not cool. They're the least sexy part of your wardrobe. They're something that they're the last thing you think about. They generally, you know, you put your jeans on, you put your, your boots on, you 
put your your jacket on, whatever you're putting your clothes and everything is kind of thought and put together. Your belt is like, oh, slap that on. And maybe you think like if you're trying to be styly, you're like, well, I got black shoes on. I'll put a black belt on. That's like the extent of your thought about a belt. So in order to get this a message across that like, hey, these belts are better for activity or these belts are more comfortable for your everyday wear or, Hey, these belts are actually have multi-use to them. That like takes a lot of effort and takes a lot of like making sure that those messages are out there and making sure that they're told in a really clean, concise way while also building the interest for this through your brand. So it's taken work and we still find it work. I mean, I can't tell you uh, how many places I've, personally emailed called whatever like say media outlets that just turn a blind eye to it because you're like belts who the hell wants to talk about belts like that's no one cares about that but you know five years ago no one wanted to care about socks and now stance socks and the the action sports industry is gigantic and uh so we're we're pushing for sure we have to push but what what really makes me happy is the fact that like Nine out of ten people get the belts and they're like, oh, my God, this is the most comfortable thing ever. This is so much better for what I do. And you're like, okay, cool, thanks. I'm glad because I've been trying to – I've been yelling this from the mountaintops for the last four years. Like, trying. does anyone get this or is this just me? Am I the crazy person or like trying to figure that out? But, no, it's been a a blend. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I'm definitely one of those people, I guess. Like, I used to – belts just kind of sucked. So I would just generally not wear them sort of ever. And, um, you know, and, and it really was, I mean, I think, I don't know how many years ago we kind of first looked at arcade belts and it was like, okay, wait, I don't hate this. And turns out this is functional and they look good. And, um, and we did, we, you know, we, we got in and saw, um, the updates, um, what you guys have out now. And it was really, I I think I told you this at the time when, when you were going into the crossover belts and stuff, I kind of didn't get it because I was being dumb and thought you just came out with like a weave belt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we got our hands on them and it was like, Oh, it's still stretchy. These still don't feel like weird and restricted. And I was like, God, I'm kind of stupid. Um, so it's been, I mean, yeah, See, I, I mean, put that. I put that on us. Is like we're not, and this is where it comes to the pushing thing. Is like we're not educating you well enough on why we have this in here because we like we spend so much time on the smallest details. Like um, you're speaking of entrepreneurs, uh, Chris Saka. I don't know if you know. Of who course, he is, I do. Yeah, yeah, he's on Shark Tank. Yep. Um, but so I had a, I was hanging out with him in Squaw one day. Uh, a couple weeks ago and he was like you know what love about this and he's like i don't know if this was a conscious decision or not but the way you slide your belt through you guys made sure that the rounded end goes first Mm -hmm. because i've seen other clip belts that go like with the the male side first and if you look at belt design and the way people put on belts uh, most belts are backwards to ours essentially, mm-hmm. but that was a very conscious thing that we noticed in like year two of watching people put on belts time and time again was like, wait a minute, they're putting that side in with their right hand pushing left the entire way. Well, if you put the male end, you're going to get it hooked on your, your belt loops. Mm-hmm. So we flipped the way the belts are essentially traditionally buckled so that the, the female end that the round smooth end goes in 
first. And uh, he's like, that's genius. And he's like, <laughs> these are the kind of things that we need to get across because we're like, hey, all, all we do is belts. That's We don't do anything else. We have yeah. a lot of time to think about this. And we're being trying to be very detail-oriented on how they work. And that's like the challenge is to get that message out there without making it super boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, though, I mean, Listen, they, you guys are doing a good job, in my humble opinion, on, I mean, they look great for one, which I think has got to help the cause. And so I, I do suspect it's kind of like, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of testing outerwear for kind of my job. And so there's at any given time a rotation of, I don't know, six or seven different pairs of ski pants. And I guess I'm lazy enough that I got tired of taking the belt off and putting it on another pair. So it's like, dude, I just need more of these belts so they can just yeah. live on these things. And, and um, But it is fun. I mean, it, I, I think to your credit, it, is, um, it really is just simply a better product. And, um, you know, good on you guys um, for, for taking something every day and, and, uh, and actually making it uh, – better that's not, yeah, that's not yeah. a bad thing no totally something that you wouldn't really think about could be better it's just a strap yeah but the little details make it that much better so thank you yeah yeah um do you feel like this thing is has this um sort of have you caught a bug with this company i mean have you started having thoughts about other things like this or right now are you so head down you know let's let's make sure arcade goes in the in the positive direction um what do you think um i'm still yeah working with arcade we've got so much ability to grow yeah um you know we're getting in surf markets and skate markets and all that so it's just like every time we get a new market it's like relaunching arcade again so it's yeah there's i can't i can barely come up for air to like do anything much less think about a new company yeah. and if i were to ever start a new company um i'd probably need like a two-year break between yeah. this and that because it's uh it's demands a lot of your life and i'm sure as you know that with blister it's uh you have to put your heart and soul and life into it and uh for for arcade like we've got a really cool thing going on we've got some amazing people working here now and uh we're gonna try and just keep innovating um keep making these things cooler better everything about them so that you know we, we're offering better products out there Switching up a bit, books, movies, music, or podcasts. You get to pick one. One. Ooh, that's tough. You know, I'd say the moment du jour, it's podcasts. Yeah. I, I listen to hours of podcasts. Like these <laughs> days, I bought a, I bought a house here, and it's, it needs a lot of work, and I sit in my garage, and I'm building stuff and just working away on the house and i pretty much have podcasts on the entire time so uh i'd, I'd pretty much just yeah podcasts are winning currently mm -hmm. i think that's true of me too and i always sort of i feel guilty i feel like i'm cheating on books um but i um so at some point i i think i i keep telling myself i'm going to carve out that time and get back to just sort of dedicated and concentrated time reading. I, I miss that. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, yeah. Podcasts at the moment. Um, but if you had to strike podcasts from the record and we just go to the more, uh, uh, more traditional books, m movies, or music, where would you be living? 
uh, probably then books next. And then, yeah, probably, uh, depends on the kind of movies, but I would probably put music next and then movies the last, because movies just take a long time and you kind of really have to focus on them. And yeah. I'm so busy these days. I don't really <laughs> watch that many movies anymore. So, uh, yeah, like, uh, I had, God, I've been to the theater once in the last year. I think it was like once in the last two years before that. And then I don't written like, I don't rent movies or anything yeah. anymore. So, so yeah. On the, on the podcast front, do you have any favorites? Uh, personally, I radio lab is up there. Um, I really like the startup podcast. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting one. Yeah. Um, there was obviously Serial, the newest seasons, doing really, really cool things. Uh, I listened to sports stuff, so the BS Report, we're actually yep. now the Bill Simmons podcast. Yep. But then the one that I really got into, and this one was, it's a short one, but Limetown, I don't know if you've heard huh. of it. I don't know uh, it. It's, it's, a, it's actually, so it was number one in iTunes podcast for about a month this year. It happens to be produced entirely, made, produced directed the whole entire thing by my co-founder of arcades brother (laughs) so he just was like i'm gonna make a podcast and he made a seven-part series that was on the number one of itunes for a month was beating out uh npr was beating out this american life and all that stuff it was amazing so that one was really really cool um but that's my general role i'm getting into the new yorker radio hour too a lot these days Hmm. Nice. Do you ever, um, I'm a huge fan off of, I mean, so with the, with the BSPN network, do you ever, um, are you in on channel 33? It's called the watch with, with, uh, with Chris Ryan. No, I haven't. You know, I've never, the one thing is like, cause I guess I don't watch movies and TV that much. I haven't got into the pop culture side of things too much. Um, uh, I just bought a TV and like got TV for the first time last year. And it's because Elise and I watch sports and we were tired of (laughs) trying to illegally stream sports on our computers. (laughs) That's pretty much the only thing we watch is sports. We watch baseball, we watch football and we watch yeah, sports. <laughs> so, so I'm on the, the sports side of Bill Simmons, not the pop culture side. Okay. See, I use Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. First of all, these guys are really sharp. Um, so shout out to them. But um, they're like my cheat sheet. It's kind of stupid. But since, like you said, I kind of don't have time to sit down and watch TV or movies right now. I just kind of, those guys keep me tuned in to sort of what I should maybe be aware of. Um, yeah, and, that's good, uh, yeah. So that's kind of my, yeah, they're my, they're my cheat sheet, but they're, um, they're pretty great. Um, so yeah, well, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think, I mean, I do, I mean, maybe this is self-serving since I guess we're talking on a podcast, but it, it's really been, I think a fun development, um, and the diversity of stuff out there, um, when you can just listen to it on your own time. Um, it, it's been, um, that's been a cool thing. And I, I think, um, I mean, I think we're just going to see that trend kind of continue. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just like uh, the radio is great because you can be doing other stuff while listening to it. Uh, um, and then the fact that a podcast, you can do it on demand. And the yep. fact that it's mainly very intelligent content out there um, that makes it very interesting in a unique form. It's uh, I, I think, yeah, that you learn stuff every day from them. And I really enjoy listening to them because of that. Yeah. Likewise. 
Cody, it's been great to talk and um, it's, it's been fun. I mean, I think the thing that comes through in this conversation is this um, evolution or progression from we started with this kid growing up, scanning, caring about football, who went into racing, who got into big mountain skiing, who started doing films in a different way, who's starting companies. I mean, that, it is, I think, a legitimately interesting trajectory. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing um, the rest of that trajectory um, and uh, wish you well with all of it. Uh, thank you. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's been a, it's been a fun ride so far and realized in life, you, you can't let things have come and happen to you. You just got to go and make it do it, make it happen. So I think that's, what's gotten me here. And I think what's really gotten me here is just the fact that skiing's the coolest thing in the world, the thing I love most. So it's, uh, as long as I don't lose that, lose that, I'll keep having fun and keep doing cool shit. Here, here, man. Well, great to talk and, uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Sounds good. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks go to Cody Townsend for the conversation, to our strikingly handsome yet often indecisive audio engineer, Justin Bob, and to Alaska Airlines for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to go to alaskaair.com forward slash ski to check out all their current deals. Till next time, head over to blisterreview.com to see what we're up to there. Subscribe to the Blister Podcast on iTunes, and we'll catch you next Thursday on the Blister Podcast.